to another episode of Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture with a geeky bent, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Chris. How's it going, Chris? I'm all right, Stevie. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. We're in 2019 now. In 2019? The hellscape of 2018 has been consigned to the past. Things can only get better, I imagine. Really, they can. <laughs> um, you and me have been hitting the gym a lot recently. Um, nobody wants to hear about that. No, they do. I don't think people... What, you're lifting? <laughs> I think uh, gym talk and probably fancy football are things that people don't really want to hear about. Well, I don't want to think about, about that it. anymore. <laughs> okay, so, Steve, before we get started... Yep. No news nuggets? Uh, no news. Okay. A little bit of fan mail. You got fan mail? Sort of. Okay. Somebody who listened to the show might also be a friend of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> mentioned they listened to the show. Mom and or dad? No, it wasn't a relative. But uh, this, this this friend of mine wanted me to give you a message. Okay. Specifically. Was so this gonna... about Tiny Wimey Fuck Off or something? Yeah, it was about it was pertaining to that episode. Okay, so yeah. It begins. The girl who played Sally Sparrow, you mean Oscar nominated and BAFTA winning Carrie Mulligan, slapped Steve for me. So I... verbally, you slapped. Why am I uh, You're suspect. Why am I slapped? Because I didn't know she was Oscar nominated. And BAFTA winning. And BAFTA winning. What did she win a BAFTA for? I don't know, but she's clearly famous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, her name is Carrie Mulligan. Was that what? Yeah, or Carrie. I think Carrie, Carrie Mulligan. Okay. Well, Carrie's not a name, is it? What? The name is fine. The name is fine. Obviously, I was not aware of how, in, you know, infamous this person was when she was doing her northern accent and tiny wimey fuck off. So she was. Let's have a look here. So see if there's anything you should be embarrassed about not knowing. Okay, so she was nominated for the uh, film An Education in 2009. Okay. And I believe she was also <coughs> nominated for a BAFTA for the same film. She was also nominated for Best Sporting Actress in Drive. She was in Drive. Okay, there you go. That's famous. That's, that is famous. How about that? All right. I like Drive. That's a great film. There you go. So you, you maybe watch that again, you'll you'll see her. So, um, fan mail dealt with. I, uh... So Not really... I, I thought the fan mail would be a little bit more nicer. This is more hate mail, but um, whatever. okay. So uh, this other little thing I wanted to try kicking off, uh, new year, new season, if you will, of Oh Brother, what are we watching? Okay. Okay. I've created a series of trivia questions around me, you, and our shared interests. Right. Um. So what I wanted to do is to start of every episode, fire you off a few questions, get your brain firing, you know, the neurons, the neurons going. Yeah. So I'm just going to pick some at random, throw them at you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, I'm as ready as our audience will be. Okay, we're going to start off with a nice easy one. Go on. You and I both worked in Safeway before it became <laughs> Morrison's PLC. Correct. What was the code for Pink Lady Apples? 8269. Why? Because she hates the 69. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. What is the best Billy Joel song? The best one? That's a trick question. None of them are good. Um... Uh, well, it has to be. She's. Um, we start. We, we didn't start the fire. No, it's uptown girl. But good try. What? Why? <laughs> I, I feel I've been blindsided. That's, that's not a right answer. That's question. far and that is far and away the best Joel song. But it's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Final one. Final one. So we'll just do three. So, famous song, big in the nineties. Yep. Angel in the centerfold. You know it. In angel. Yes. Okay. I once famously misheard those lyrics and embarrassed myself in public by. 
saying what I thought was the name of the song. How did I mishear Angel in the Centerfold? Oh, nope, it's not coming to me, but I remember you missed... No, I don't remember. Angel is a xenophobe. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's almost as good as my mother saying... Um, you and, and me instead, instead of tsunami. tsunami. <laughs> she thought she thought that song was a lot more joyous than it actually was. Yeah, well, it's I mean it's it's fairly happy melody underlies the tragedy that it's it's discussing. I okay, suppose. okay, so that that's me. Um, well, one right answer. One for three, so about thirty three percent roughly that's on the first good in baseball. Three, batting three three three. That's pretty so good it's not bad. You'd be happy with that average. You you would be. You yeah. would be. Okay, enough fucking around. Let's get started. So. <laughs> Uh, today we are discussing Looper. We are discussing Looper, so I think I set you that at the end of one of our podcasts. It's all got a bit mixed up as we record and, mm-hmm. and do these, but Looper, 2012, written and directed by Rian Johnson. Mm-hmm. Rian, I killed Star Wars Johnson, depending on who you are and what you think. And which side of our desk you're sitting on at the moment. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. I don't think I was that negative. No, you weren't that negative. You weren't that I negative. wasn't that negative about it. Um, but this is a very good film, uh, I think, anyway, and uh, we set your task of watching it, and for those of you who are playing along at home, it's on Netflix, it's absolutely free. Uh, two hours of your time won't be... Well spent, I'd say. I think so, I think so. Um, very, very interesting. I think the first question, that, uh, or first thing to talk about is, uh, what do you think of the makeup job on Joseph Gordon-Levitt? It was great. It, but well, you weren't freaked out? A little. I was freaked. I mean... <sighs> It just, it took me a long time. It took me a long time to figure out it was him. Because... So the, so, so for those of you who haven't watched it, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the film, who is kind of small and short, is playing Bruce Willis as a younger man. Yeah. Bruce Willis is also, of course, in the film. But he has this kind of prosthetic on the front to try and make his face kind of look like... Like uh, he Bruce would Willis. age into Bruce Willis. Because yeah, obviously like he he's would. got very different, very different kind of features. Um, a little and it, bit. It, it bothered me because I was like... I was like, I feel like I'm doing that thing where I, where I get the face wrong. I I did have to IMDb it to look up whether or not it was him. So very good job on the prosthetics. Yeah, yeah. I say. Did you think you got the mannerisms down? And yeah, yeah. That sort of young kind of arrogant Bruce, I think, sort of came across in his performance. I mean, I've got a lot of time for for Gordon Levitt. I think he's he is a good actor. Um, best, he's a great actor. Best known for Third Rock from the Sun, of course. <laughs> Where you play Tommy, but no, I I I really liked him in The Dark Knight Rises, mm. which is, uh, you know, obviously not not best loved of of Nolan's Batman work. Uh, I thought he was really strong in this. Yep. Um, to possibly preempt one of your questions, I did enjoy the film. I thought it was I thought it was pretty ace. Oh, um, well, that takes care of the podcast then. So then <laughs> we wrap that one up it's much so, quicker so than usual. Steve's Steve's got onto another winner. So uh, yeah, I I, I thought processes were great. I thought all the effects were really good actually. Because there's a lot of a lot of stuff. And what I like is that it's it's not drawn attention to. So for example, there's a scene in a diner where he's talking to Bruce Willis, his future self, mm-hmm. and Willis just has this thing on his ear, like it's like sort of eaten away at. And I'm staring at it, going like. Did I know this? Does Bruce Willis have like a weird gammy ear? It yeah. looks like it's been bitten off or something. Yeah, yeah. And then I realised that younger version has it's Joe, isn't it? The character name. Yeah. Yeah. So the younger version had like a plaster over his ear because he'd been maybe shot or something during the previous altercation. That's right. But no, no attention was drawn to it. And there's a lot of that in the film where yeah, it's just there for the observant. Exactly. And that's really good. It's really well done. I don't. I I think in a film that could hold your hand a lot. I think it does just enough to guide you through the 
potentially complex plot. But I just, I, yeah, I, I like there's a lot of stuff that they don't feel the need to be like, hang on a minute, you've got that scar because I got this cut. Yeah. Because you're they, me when I'm older. Yeah, they, and now they, I get it. they yeah. try and not explain everything that way. But it, you're right, it's, um, it is quite good. I didn't notice that in the diner scene as well with the, um, the you can see this, the, the plaster on his, in his ear and then you can see that Bruce Willis now has this kind of cut out on his ear and it's yeah. just very subtle. Of course, it's only supposed to take place, uh, well, we're in 2019 now. So yeah. 25 years from now, so it's kind of still grounded in reality in that regard. You know, they've still got cars, they've got some floating vehicles, but not a huge amount. I think one of the great things about this film, actually, is um, it's part of the um, grand Bruce Willis phoning it in period. But oh. 2012 had two beauties in Looper and also another film called Moonrise Kingdom, which was a Wes Anderson film that Bruce Willis played a scoutmaster. I think it was a scoutmaster. Um, but... For Bruce Willis, this is actually quite a strong performance. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so I'll I'll admit I was a bit nervous for two reasons. When you said uh, you wanted to do Looper, the first was because I mistook it for the what's the name of the guy who played Anakin? Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, that, that you're thinking of Jumper. Yeah, yeah. With his, Christian Haydenson or Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen. That's that's <laughs> yeah. So I thought you said Looper. I thought Jumper. Amazing. And I've seen Jumper. And it's an wow. awful movie. It was something we stuck on love film because we watched the trailer and the trailer seemed quite good. And the film was awful. I don't know if you ever saw it. No. But I was like, don't make me watch that again, Steve. Don't put that evil <laughs> on me. I'll talk about it, but I'm not watching it again. Because it was fucking dire, yeah. that film. So that was my first fear. Uh, and then I got past that and then I got onto Netflix and I was like, okay, no, it's not that. And then I saw Bruce Willis. And then I thought... Like, honestly, gun to my head, when was the last time I saw Bruce Willis in something and actually enjoyed that film? And I had to think back quite a long way. Yeah. It might have been as far back as The Fifth Element or something. Yeah, The Fifth Element, that was pretty decent. You know, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, going through his IMDb is, is quite, especially nowadays, it's quite shocking. Because he basically turns up in these films and doesn't do very well. Yeah, uh, and I mean, he's, he's obviously got a bit of a rep for being quite difficult to work with, being a bit of a jerk. Yeah, infamously on Cop Out with yeah. Kevin Smith. And, you know, I don't know if that's just because Kevin Smith himself is a bit of a jerk-off and maybe they just didn't see eye to eye. Possibly. Because I think the thing is, Bruce Willis is going to work for someone he respects. Obviously, he didn't have much respect for Kevin Smith. So, I don't know if that was part of it. But, yeah, honestly, I don't think I've seen him in anything, actually, particularly since no. since back then. I, I gave up on the Die Hard films. Yeah, of course. I watched yeah. the fourth one, and that was as far as I went and yeah. that was really really bad so yeah I was a bit worried um, but yeah like you say for Bruce Willis it's yeah you know he's, he's not just phoning it in you know he's, yeah. he's there he's there he's acting with the other actors reacting to what they say as yeah. if it was said to him for the first time not just <laughs> sitting there scowling and sort of throwing out you know stock badass lines and I think he does quite well like his character does a lot of bad things yeah, yeah. Um, some really bad things and um, I think he plays up the conflict of that quite well actually without you know again without it becoming melancholy and a bit melodramatic and oh what have I done what have I become you know it's yeah. it's a bit under the surface but he's there yeah I, it, what is quite good from both him and, and Gordon Levitt is of course playing the same character from different ends of the spectrum and they kind of pass by each other to the opposite end so they start when Bruce Willis comes back he's trying to say to him you're selfish and 
you just don't understand about caring for someone else. You know, you're you're, you're a druggie. You know, yeah. You you don't have anyone in your life. You the person you're obviously um, enamored with is basically a prostitute. Yeah. Whereas of course Bruce Willis has been through all that for thirty years, and he believes that this is the most sell. You know, and this this coming back and, and trying to kill the rainmaker, um, is actually doing something grand, and it, it takes kind of Gordon Levitt's journey to see what well, actually he's still being selfish. Yeah. At the end, of course, he's going to kill a kid. Whereas, of course, the most, you know, the, 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 the self-sacrificial way to do it, of course, is what happens at the end when Gordon Levitt kind of kills himself, thereby closing his loop, but also making sure that the Rainmaker never comes to pass. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, actually, coming more from a thematic point of view. But I think Willis does a good job, actually. Um, I do think it, there is part of that. It's almost like he has to be in a film with people he respects. You know, he has to be the star. And he has to have his contractually obligated white T-shirt, which yeah. he got. Which he got at the yeah, start. Yeah, it was a very. The whole thing was a very Bruce Willis get-up, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know the sort of the calfskin jacket and. Well, that was it. So it was the start on... of the film. Gordon Levitt is wearing like he's he, what I would expect him to wear, which is kind of you know he's got his shirt and tie and jeans yeah, and a very, jacket. Yeah, very modern trendy. Modern you know, trendy. Yeah. And then as soon as Bruce Willis is up, he's like, no, calfskin jacket and a white T-shirt. <laughs> like, no. Now it's Bruce time. Yeah. Bruce time? I, uh, <laughs> yeah, so just a little bit. What What is your sort of past with the film? When did you watch it? Yeah, it was another film that kind of passed me by originally in 2012. I did see Moonrise Kingdom that year with Bruce Willis. But I think it was either a love film or mm. Netflix or some. I think it was a love film, actually. So me and the wife had, or now wife, but we had love film when, when we moved yeah. in and we were just um, going through films we hadn't seen. And they're using love films exactly what you're supposed to use it for, which was, hey, I never saw that, we should watch it. And then I thought, ah, that was really good, actually, you know. See, I feel like I've been hard done by, I got Jumper, you got Looper. <laughs> <laughs> the jump, Jumper. Yeah, that's the film. Yeah, we'll go see Jumper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, mistaken no. identity. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yes, so, so that's how I caught it. And of course, um, it really is, it was quite an interesting tale, you know, it was, it was a script that was unproduced for a long time and uh, they've got something, you may have heard about it from another podcast actually called The Blacklist and it's scripts that go around Hollywood that are unproduced and it was, I think it was 2011, everybody in Hollywood said this is the best unproduced script going around and eventually they managed to get, I think it was 40, 30 or 40 million dollar budget yeah. um, to film this, they largely filmed it in the South, Rianne Johnson, only his third film then. Funnily enough, He's only made one since the Last, Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. So it took him six years to get the Last Jedi, or to, he did do some TV. And we'll, well, he did. That. He, he was on Breaking Bad, wasn't he? He's yeah. filmed some of the widely considered best episodes of uh, Breaking Bad, including Ozzy Mandias. Yeah. I think that was the death of Agent um, Trader. Uh, of Hank. It? Yeah. Hank. Yeah. <laughs> you know, great episodes. But yeah, he was doing a bit of TV and. So yeah. that's well, I mean, that's uh, Ozzy is one of the highest rated episodes of television of all time, I believe. You're joking. Yeah, it's definitely the, it's the highest of Breaking Bad. Oh, wow. Um, but I believe as sort of critical ratings go, I think, at least. Um, and also possibly in terms of actual viewership, it's definitely up there. Wow. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, IMDb trivia. It tells you. Uh, you <laughs> Don't need to watch the film, lads. Just IMDb trivia. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you've, so you've seen it once previous to this? So I saw it once previous to this. Um, put it on the Netflix to obviously catch up on it. And yeah, I think it really holds well together. 
when you did, watch it again. Did you feel uh, it benefited from a second viewing? Was there anything you noticed this time that you didn't well, feel like you did last time, maybe? as with any time travel film which has a major twist in the tale, when you're watching it again from the start, you do notice things again. So obviously you know how it ends. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I kind of, I don't want to say I picked up, one of the things I kind of re-evaluated, and I don't know how you feel about this, is the narration. Now, when I watch Blade Runner, I've seen Blade Runner conservatively five to ten times, and I've watched all the kind of different versions of it. I love Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. But the first time I watched it, I watched it, the original version, which was the narrated version by Harrison Ford, and then it had the ending, which was actually stolen from The Shining. Yeah. Weird story. And then I saw uh, the various versions, including the direct cut and the final cut. Mm -hmm. And those ones really benefited from not having narration. But I really felt that with Looper, though I didn't really... It's not that I didn't like the narration. I did like the narration. But I kind of sat there wondering, I wonder how this would benefit without it. But you really... The story is such, you kind of need to know about the silver bricks and the gold bricks and closing your yeah, mouth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Not, it doesn't really come up naturally in conversation, so you kind of need young Joe to explain the film to you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, I mean, it's quite minimalist, mm -hmm. narration. Mm -hmm. Like you say, I think it is something of a necessity. It would be a cons... Because it is quite... Not quite long, but, you know, it's two hours. It's above average for a film. If you had put in more exposition mm. instead of that brief explanation there to you know, organically explain some of the stuff that you really need to know to understand for the film to work, you're looking at two and a half hours, maybe even closing in on three, and that would really kill the pace. Right. And the pace is one of the best things about this film because it is very, it's very well paced. It, it speeds up at the right time, it gives you a little bit longer at the right time, mm. you need a breather from all the action. Mm -hmm. I feel the action's very well spaced out. Yeah. And I think that would all just go to hell if instead instead of a brief bit of narration we had a 20 minute lecture on what is a looper <laughs> or even or even for that matter you know if you saw i think the one i always come back to is like jj abrams what was if jj abrams is shot looper you can imagine there a lot being, of flair <laughs> flair <laughs> lens flair, flair. Lens flair. more lens flair more lens flair a uh, hundred million dollar more budget probably than yeah got. definitely but then i think that probably would have impacted on what was a story about the characters probably becoming more of an action epic story yeah. about time travel and as, as Bruce Willis old Joe puts it at one point I'm not talking to you about time travel because yeah, I just get scrambled we're in. not going to sit here talking about the fucking time travel which is good you know something I was going to kind of hit upon probably a few times is yeah this idea of you know time travel isn't real so don't try and explain it to me because you can't yeah because nothing you could do would be satisfactory and you're only going to badly date your film mm. by you know saying it's a flux capacitor or whatever else you're going to try and explain it with so just say don't fuck it it doesn't matter and, and don't even try and understand the paradox of what, what we're in because yeah legitimately the film the film creates its own paradox because you know old young joe kills himself closes the loop but then old joe would never go back in time so young joe would never have the reason to kill himself bloody 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 blah and you can kind of get into the weeds with that, but I think the film is specifically telling you there and then don't, you're not, you're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah. And that's not the point of the film. The point of the film is an interesting character piece exactly. you know, about two of the same person, essentially, and yeah. the choices they make and how it affects them and how somebody changes throughout their life. Yeah. But yeah, no, the narration where you watch this on a, a love film and then again uh, on Netflix, I have a very different kind of life to you these days, obviously, with a, uh, a toddler in tow. So I watched this on my phone, 
Right. And I probably the I watched the first ten minutes of it separate to the remaining hour and fifty or so. Right. Okay. And that first ten minutes was just about all the narration, and so I was sort of watching him. I was sort of sat on the sofa. He kept begging me to go play Paw Patrol, and you know every time I look back, it's this is my blunderbuss. This is called a loop. Yeah. This is called closing the loop. Yeah. And I started to get a stupid comparison in my head to a funny or die sketch that Patrick Stewart had done as a scalper where he was narrating it and he kept going, this one's called a Yankee Panky. <laughs> this one's called a How's Your Father. Right. Because um, that just, everything was, this is called this. This is called this. And it's just a little bit of narration to help you along, but it did it did sort of put me in mind of, uh, of less serious things. Yeah, it's kind of like a necessary evil, I think, in the film. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And then I sort of, about five days later, I managed to come back and watch the rest of the film in one un- uninterrupted block. Uh, and then I was able to follow it a bit better. And was thankfully devoid of, of the remainder of the narration. Fantastic. Until the end. But again, you know, I feel that ties things up quite nicely and just brings it all together. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, I mean, it's a strong film. It's mm-hmm. a strong film. And I think um, thematically it gives you a lot to think about, especially when you, you repeat watch it and you pick up on things. So one of the fun things that you <clears throat> pick up, especially after you know the end, is um, obviously the unseen bad guy who's this kid with the incredible yeah. telekinetic ability is um, the Rainmaker. Yeah. But from the very start of the film there's a lot of focus on clouds, on cloudiness, on stuff. Oh, okay, so yeah. you, you get a lot of shots foreshadowing. of um, foreshadowing, exactly. So you, you know, Johnson puts in a lot of shots of uh, milk going out of coffee in the diner, for example, and the little kind of noise of like, you know, maybe thunder coming or something. That's really and good. all that stuff. Um, the Rainmaker's allies who take Bruce Willis and send him back to the past. Yeah. They've got black dusters, which reminds me of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but that's another yeah. story. <laughs> Sweet duster. Uh, and then those big black hats. And then yeah. you look in his room and he's a kid and he's got cowboy figures and posters and stuff. So it's kind of nice yeah. foreshadowing. A little bit heavy handed, but quite nice. But ultimately, the film is about char- this character uh, and his, um, his, his ability to grow up basically yeah. and accept that he's led he's led a selfish life which is the same for all these luthers you know they get the quick cash in return for basically putting a, a death warrant on themselves yeah and he and he says in the narration he's like you know we're all pretty short-sighted none of us none of us are normal perfect people you know we, we do this for a reason yeah um how creepy was the kid the kid who played the <laughs> right a great job from him as as, as a child actor because they're not you know they're pretty hit and miss but he creeped the fuck out of me. Well, that's the point, isn't it? It's yeah. just, it's, it, you can kind of say it's about free will and determinism, right? Yeah. So you've got this kid who's maybe a little bit creepy, but if he sees his mum die, he's going to go off the fucking rails and within six months take over the world and yeah. kill people. Or, you know, maybe he could be saved um, by his mother, which is, again, another interesting thematic thing, which kind of gets you, I, you know, you know, we've spoken about this before, but we love a sci-fi film in which you get to go, huh, yeah, it's a bit cerebral because obviously what it kind of comes down to is, at least from young Joe's perspective, is that he sees it all unfold kind of before him and he's like, ah, in his efforts to stop him becoming the Rainmaker, or the Rain Man? Rainmaker. Rainmaker. You kind of want to avoid Rain Man references, yeah. So in, in his effort to stop him becoming the Rainmaker, he is going to make him become the Rainmaker by putting him through a serious, a second serious exactly. childhood trauma. So he kills himself in order to stop it. But of course, I like that the film doesn't give us an explicit 30 years down the line, you know, it's a utopia now because he never did that. He became good because you can still think 
maybe he did it for nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe actually young Joe saw that, but young Joe didn't know Dick. And, and actually old Joe was doing the right thing in the first place. It was about Joe kind of finding the true meaning of sacrifice, which is not to sacrifice a kid. Like, yeah. I'm going to go stop Hitler. Yeah. It was, it was more about self-sacrifice and, and growing up and, you know, <clears throat> getting off the drugs. Of course, he kept on turning into Xanax and stuff. Yeah, what is that? It's a, it's a very interesting sci-fi thing. As far as I'm aware, there's not many drugs that can be administered currently through the eyeball. That's the future, though. But every future, like so many future things <laughs> I've seen involve yeah. drugs that can be taken... Uh, well, I don't know how you would... You Ocularly. Would Ocularly. Ocularly, yes, in an ocular manner. Um, <laughs> including the accident, uh, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Just getting it shit. <laughs> <laughs> tech <Is that> War? <laughs> Probably. Tech, I think William Shatner's Tech War, but de- there was that episode of Star Trek, Next Generation, with the game, where they, you have the little things that go into your eyeballs. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Turned the whole crew against Wesley, and Wesley had to save the day. As he always did. Oh. Best, best premise ever. Um, but yeah, I like this. I like... I, I feel like this is sort of a, a one in a million kind of thing because like you say you've got these what you call it the blacklist of these yes. undeveloped scripts and nine times out of ten what happens with these undeveloped scripts is they become a sequel to something yes so that's what both I think Die Hard 4 and definitely definitely Die Hard 4 and possibly Die Hard 5 sorry were they were undeveloped scripts for an entirely different thing yeah they were like take out your protagonist put in John McClane John McClane couple of references to past films and yippee-ki-yay motherfucker somewhere but bing bada boom we have a sequel and we'll make your movie for you and it's it's it makes you so jaded because you think i would never i would never try and create a screenplay uh, i know for a million reasons but one of them would be if i did something that was like this wonderful high concept original thing the odds of it becoming a looper are far less likely than the odds of it becoming uh you know a vehicle for Matthew Broderick's comeback or whatever exactly you know Ferris Bueller's return I don't know yeah off the top of my head one of my favorite stories about that and it was actually told in how did this get made is uh, Matthew Berry who's big in the fantasy football world yeah used to be a screenwriter used to be a, a comedic screenwriter with a partner and he wrote and told the story of Crocodile Dundee 3 yeah which is a terrible film but it was all about like how you know he, he was he was hired and basically sat there and wrote jokes and the script was taken apart. It's an awful story. It's a funny story actually, but it's an awful story about Hollywood yeah. and, and how they do the, to these things. You know, like I had my beautiful script and it was just taken into something <laughs> completely different, and now it's a vehicle for Crocodile Dundee or or Bruce Willis in, in yeah. The and you see you see it time and time again. Even uh, I can like even if you just look at when they hire somebody to write something and they don't like it. So they bring someone else in and they completely cannibalise it and it's unrecognisable like uh, like um, Joss Whedon's Alien 4 uh, Alien Resurrection Of course Joss Whedon's version sounded pretty sweet and he still got the writing credit for it but he uh, according to him almost nothing he wrote Didn't he get the writing on. credit on Toy Story? He did as well I think he was possibly an editor on Toy Story I can't remember Yeah um, But I can definitely see Joss Whedon's handprints fingerprints are more on Toy Story than I can in like Alien Resurrection, which was a complete mess. But coming back to Looper, you know, it's exciting to see. Yeah. Oh well, this one made it through somehow. You know, the right people it got into the right people's hands. The right sort of backers were there, um, and you know, again, it's something that probably benefited from having. You know, it had a decent budget, but like yeah. you say it didn't have a summer blockbuster Correct. budget. Yeah. So it couldn't be this all singing, all dancing. We couldn't have this gigantic 
expensive looking CG time machine, we had like a little hole in the wall, and yep. that's exactly what I wanted because again, I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to see the time machine. You know, I, I don't care what it looks Who cares? like. It's not real. I it know doesn't it's matter. not real. I know it doesn't matter. You're not going to convince well. me it's real. You're probably going to take me out at the moment. Whereas this, it, was, it was almost like a bottle episode of a TV show because there's very few areas that it's shot in. You know, most of it happens, you know, either in Joe's apartment or in the barn. Yeah. Um, and, and that really grounds the story and, and, and yeah. yeah, it gives us a lot more time to get to know the characters. Yeah. And yeah, you know, get get to see his dilemmas that he's going through, various things. Which in an interesting way brings us to, to Rianne Johnson and and the what was interesting to me when I was reading up about this film again, so I knew that Rianne Johnson had written and directed this and I remember when they said, Oh, Last Jedi is gonna be Rianne Johnson and I went, Oh, that's really good. That's a really that's strong <laughs> move by Lucasfilm to actually go out there, get someone who kind of understands sci fi. It's a kind of up and comer. What I didn't realise was six years between Looper and this, I yeah. I still haven't found out why. In addition, obviously he was film he did film a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad or some yeah. of the TV here. What was he doing the rest of the time? I'm sure I read a story that said along the lines of when JJ and the Disney staff were doing Star Wars uh, Force Awakens, mm -hmm. they were basically rewriting it and reshooting it all the way up to pretty much the last day. Whereas with with this, it was pretty much uh, written by Rian Johnson months in advance and mm -hmm. directed and it was finished maybe even early so they had lots of time for post-production of course depending on the kind of star wars fan you are you might say well they should have rewritten there because everything whatever terrible yeah. or whatever um but did you have any thoughts having watched now the last jedi in this about like how he shot it or or even i could see that i could see the, the kind of maturation of the director there yeah, I mean, he's got so few films under his belt. It's not that you can say like there's a lot of strong trademarks of Rian Johnson. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, TV's changed a lot, you know, since since when we were young and you weren't particularly respected for doing TV. You know, now TV is, mm. you know, almost bigger than Hollywood. But TV directing is still very different, I think, to directing yeah. a movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, pacing a forty-five minute episode is, or a fifty-minute episode is very, very different. So obviously his TV work speaks for itself. Um, I think Looper's very well done. And I think there are sort of... The very few cracks in it I can see were things that I think were writ large come The Last Jedi. So, you know, what you could say is it's it's a cerebral and interesting film. It makes you think it's a good moral piece. blah 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 But if you want to be an asshole about it, you could just sit there and be like, um, this film has so many plot holes. Because all time travel films do. Especially time travel films about... yeah paradoxes yeah because depending on what you believe would happen if somebody were to kill themselves in the past you know what it is steve it's timey wimey stuff it it's is. a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff yeah yeah and it's confusing <laughs> and i don't really give a shit about all that i'd rather just enjoy the movie for what, what i think yeah. it's intended for but obviously you know again come the last jedi people were even more complaining about those kind of things as star wars fans i want to do oh there's a massive plot hole here why, you know, why don't they just zip to hyperspace there? Or, yeah. you know, why does it matter that they can't turn around? Or, you know, stuff like that. Stuff yeah. that Reed Johnson was probably like, well, well that doesn't really matter. It's, it's I think that's exactly journey. what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, don't, don't think about what does it matter that this big spaceship can't turn around or can't go up instead of left or right. Yeah. Think about what is happening to that character in the moment. And I think the character stuff in The Last Jedi was pretty good. Yeah. You know, and I also think what we can see from 
Looper is somebody who's not afraid to take risks. Yeah. Because it's not shot in a conventional sort of Hollywood kind of way, I don't think. It's, even though there is the narration, it doesn't hold your hand, and there is some stuff that you just have to trust, that, oh, that'll be explained later in the movie. You know, for example, just after Joe, so old Joe gets sent back to the past, but he's not blindfolded, he's there right in front of his young self, his young self hesitates, yeah. which gives him enough time to get away, um, and then the young self is sort of on the lam for a little bit, he gets knocked out and then wakes up, and the first thing we see is him completing his loop and killing himself. And I was sitting there, and I felt like an idiot. I was like, I don't get this. Why has this just happened? And then it took me, you know, it then goes through what young Joe's life goes through to yeah. take him through to old Joe's life when he then goes back to meet young Joe again. And even then, it wasn't until a little bit after that, I was like, right, okay. So that was saying that was almost like an alternate timeline. Yes. And, and this is what's changed in that timeline and actually i need to not think about that too much <laughs> but you know but he again he didn't just say in an alternate universe or you know he didn't hold your hand through it he did something a little bit brave and i think it paid off now when it came to the last jedi whether you liked it or not i don't think you could disagree that it was brave some of the stuff that they put in there. i absolutely agree with very you. bold yeah the difference is a lot of people hated it because it was too far from what they yeah. wanted. And I think that's um, where it is less about him as a director, more maybe him as a writer and auteur, yeah. if you will. But he's just like with Looper in The Last Jedi, he's basically saying, don't sweat the small stuff. It's the character. Yeah. Think about the character. Think about whether it's Luke or, or the rest of the yeah. other characters. And obviously, some people, yourself included, and we've had this discussion before that you didn't, in The Last Jedi, you didn't like what they did with Luke Skywalker's character. Um, yep. Specific choices that they made for him. Again, killing kids. What is with Ryan Johnson and killing kids? Right. <laughs> or, or thinking about killing kids. But you know, again, I just I, I sat there and in the cinema I was just like bold. I love it. Yeah. It was just it, it was I felt like if I had seen something just like The Force Awakens again, mm. I'd have come away like, man, these are milk bread. Like this is this is just gonna be dull take out your brain action stuff whereas when i watched that i was like man there's so many unexpected things in there yeah i can kind of see where he's gone although he's taken it quite dark mm -hmm. and yeah you know i think again that's that's what you see a lot in looper it's very it's very dark very yeah. very dark <laughs> sure but i think that you see that the focus for him is more in the characters and what they would do and although he's kind of he's not apologized for the last year though he's kind of come out and said i understand why people are angry and I liken it almost to, to Star Trek fans and yeah. say Star, um, Star Trek Discovery. And when they're angry about it, they don't get angry about the characters or the important things. They get angry about does hologram technology in the 23rd century? Uh, am I supposed century? to believe that? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to believe that. Um, and you think, why are you sweating the small stuff? And it, it's, it's that subset of fans who are quite vocal, and it's the same as Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who, or whatever. Doctor Who, for example. Yeah. That's all been in the news recently. I know someone who's very angry about the female doctor in the whole <laughs> season one to the point where they put out a tweet and it was like, okay, you've had your trial with a female doctor. Now it's going to go back to normal. This is going to be a long thread. One. <laughs> <laughs> I make no apologies. One. <laughs> the, the liberal left-wing feminazis are trying to tell us <laughs> that a woman could be a doctor. Now. Greg's are making vegan sausage rolls. I mean... At oh, Piers Morgan, are you hearing this? <laughs> are you with me, bro? Thank oh. Thankfully, no one is. No. 
Um, but, but I think, you know, what, one of the reasons why I had mixed feelings on Last Jedi, and I think I did say it was positive, I can't remember our podcast now, but I haven't actually watched it since that time in the cinema. And I think I'd like to, again, especially having rewatched Looper, and say, right, who to say the Star Wars fanboy shit? Yes, Leia has never been able to just do those things before. Yes, yeah. the ship can turn around. Let, let's pretend this is just a film. Let's not pretend this is just a normal film. And not a Star Wars film. So, so go for it. So let me ask you this. So, um... It's it's clear from what you've said, having uh, you know watched it and rewatched it, yep. that in this film you're a fan of his direction and writing in I, general. I, generally speaking, yeah, because he does think about it and because he is focused on a character thing. I think there's nothing you can say about Looper. You know, I've talked about the narration, maybe, maybe, maybe not being in the film, but ultimately the film is about the characters, and you walk away with you know thinking big things about self-sacrifice and free will and determinism which are all big topics which you love to get into mm. I, I, think, you know, I don't think you can walk away without with anything but praise that's true so given that aside from time the biggest difference between you know Looper and The Last Jedi would be a much different bigger studio right and we know from the sort of experience with Marvel that certainly they, and I believe sort of the Disney controlling company, have a very tight rein on what you can and can't do with their IP. Yeah. So do you think there was a little bit of studio interference that maybe altered his experience somewhat? Or do you think maybe he kind of railed against that a little bit and that's why it's kind of so out there? Possibly. I don't think there's necessarily anything in there that Disney would have turned around and said, oh, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. I don't think so anyway. I think... You know, where, where Disney have maybe got burned with, with Ryan Johnson being the director is that the things that he changed were not major things, but they were little nerdy things for the most part. And talk go back to this theme of self-sacrifice. We see that in The Last Jedi, right? So Rose does that. Um, I think, is it someone else at the start of the film kills him? Is it, it's not Rose, it's someone else. Maybe Rose's family member? Can't remember. Well, I, I've only watched it once. The, the, the bomber who... Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Admiral is trying to teach that to um, the WizKid pilot. Uh, yeah. Han Solo Light. Poe Dameron. Poe Dameron. <laughs> Such a Star wars name, but that's so extended universe. It doesn't... It, <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> it doesn't sound like an A-line figure, guys. It sounds more like a C-line background guy. You can write this shit, George, but we can't say it. <laughs> that's what they needed. They needed someone to say that. <laughs> exactly. But again, those themes of self-sacrifice come over again, right? Yeah. They're growing up and learning to, to sacrifice yourself. Rose does it. And, and one of the big things from the fans was Rose and... Um, I'm going to forget all these characters' names now. Yeah, to be fair, so have I. This is one of those rare occasions where Finn. I can't really have a go at you. Oh, I need Finn. Finn. Okay. Finn and Rose. and, and oh, It was a little bit unbelievable that one fancied the other. And, yeah, they threw in a little bit of romance maybe to just give it a bit more gravitas. Yeah. Exactly. But without actually killing one of the main characters. Yeah. No, I think what Disney has really been affected by with, with um, the Star Wars was Solo. Yeah. Um, and that, again, that was less what happened in the film, but it's more their changes to it and bringing in, uh, bringing in Ron Howard to finish that off. I mean, I've watched the film, it's fine, but it's just fine. And I think they've kind of stepped back and went, right, maybe we just let JJ do the ninth one and yeah. we do this TV show and we'll kind of... We'll, just... we'll, we'll, we'll take a... Take a step back. Take a little step back here. Because which is wise, because Absolutely. you don't want us to get fatigued, which we are. So, I remember uh, at the time, you've probably almost entirely forgotten about the scene because it was forgettable. In The Last Jedi, there is a lengthy sequence involving some animals. Oh, the casino planet thing? Yeah. Yeah. It is quite lengthy. It is a bit. It's not necessarily integral to the plot. 
it doesn't do great things for the pace of the film. It's fun, and I think it's in there for the kind of the younger end of the audience. And I think until you, unless you are that younger end of the audience, you can't speak to whether or not that should have been in the film. But there it is. And I think a lot of people were a bit like, oh, what is this? We're talking pod race formula. Yeah, exactly. Did this need to be in here? Could we not have tightened the formula up a little bit here without yeah. that? And again, do you think that was Rian Johnson being like, Christ, I've got a big budget here. I could throw in a scene there. I th and I th actually, he would have worked better with more restrictions. Or again, do you think it was Disney going like, we want something fun for the kids. Can you throw in a big I race? mean, without, without knowing... I think off the top of my head, I would say that it was probably at a request that there'd be so, you know, there needs to be action sequences as well as your character stuff. Yeah. You probably thought, well, this makes sense. We'll have a breakout and yeah. all that stuff and, and away we go. Um, I do remember that scene not being one of my favourites because I, I thought the whole planet thing was a bit over-egged in the pudding and I did feel that, that it was just weird. But I could see it. I could see why they did it. But yeah, yeah I think so. Before we wrap up, I think just a small mention for me, what a cast, right? So let's step back from Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. You've got Paul Dano as his mate. You've got Jeff Bridges as as yeah. uh, the boss. And then you've got Emily Blunt as the woman with the, the Rainmaker kids. Yep. That's I, an incredible cast. i got to say, every, every scene with Bridges in it as well, like, Axe the pants off it. <laughs> like Bruce Boxlinger. What a pro. What a pro. <laughs> That's it. He is just a pro. And every scene I was like, man, you're captivating. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're saying. Because, like, you know, he's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of... Um, there's not a lot. There's a couple of scenes that have that good kind of building of tension. And Gordon Levitt's character is, you know, sitting there sort of nervously kind of... He's, he's trying to be a little bit snarky and whatever. And like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but he's clearly nervous as shit. And, you know, he's just like, like, I'm going to cut to the chase. You probably think I'm going to break your hand. I'm not. So let me just put your mind at ease. <laughs> I just want half of your money that you've been stashing yeah, away. Or you give up the location of your friend. And, you know, obviously that's the first, one of the first major forks in the road yeah. for his character where he takes the selfish path. Exactly. You know, regrettably. I mean, it's quite memorable because, of course, Paul Dano is then getting his fingers chopped off and his nose. Yeah. And it's a really, it's actually quite a gross scene. He's trying to, like, race to stop and he's like, you see, like, his, his future self is experiencing on. all the things that have happened to his past self. Exactly. And i got to say as well, there is a lot of... So I don't know what rating this film was, if it was a 15 or an 18. Probably I'm assuming 15. a 15. And I don't know if there was a lot left on the cutting room floor, but there there is some gross stuff in there, that specifically. Yeah. But actually, they eschew a lot of the grosser stuff. Yeah. So there's quite a few scenes where literally uh, there's one point where Bruce Willis shoots someone with a shotgun... And in the corner of the screen, you can see their head kind of yep. popping. And you can hear it. But it's not front and centre. It's not like Game of Thrones kind of like, oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to talk to your friends about this one tomorrow. It's it's there and it's it's graphic enough to be like, well, we're not pulling any punches. This is what would happen if you shot someone at point blank yeah. range with a shotgun. But at the same time, it's not gross. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not that almost fetishised kind of super violent... No. Bloodiness. I feel it often comes short of that. You know, we see, you know, we see him smack the guy in the hand with the hammer, but then that's it. You know, we don't then see him be tortured. We know that uh, Paul Dano's character in the past is being brutally tortured, but we're not actually seeing that. We're just seeing in the future all of a sudden his nose disappears, yeah. which freaks me out because yeah. he looked so skeletal and creepy. Yeah. Then all of a sudden his legs like 
he's missing a foot or something. Like he can't walk literally like leg, you know, goes from, from like a foot to a stump to like no yeah. legs. And you're like, oh my god! And he gets to the and door, oh, 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 and you just open it and shoot him dead. And what's amazing is it's letting it's letting our imagination do the work for us, which yeah. films don't do enough these days because they can show you everything. And part of it, of course, was the budget restrictions. And one, yeah. one of the way that manifested itself was he talks about learning French. Yeah. And in the future, he was supposed to go to Paris, but they couldn't afford to go to Paris. Then they thought, well, we'll make the film in New, York, New Orleans. And they thought, nah, it's not good enough. And so what happened was they got some extra financial backing from a Chinese company who said, we'll pay for you to go to Shanghai. And that's why he goes to Shanghai. And that they took Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, I don't think they took Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt to mm. Shanghai to film those, those scenes because that was that's what happened. It just becomes a thing where... He was trying to learn French, but in the end, he goes to China, and it's just another weird part of the story. Mm. That is about budget. That was all about yeah. budget. And again, it kind of get it flows. Creativity flows when you don't have money. So therefore, yeah, I, I, I think there should almost be like a budget cap on films. Yeah. You know, because I think, I think we'd get much better films out of it. Uh, something I found quite interesting about the uh, the character of sort of old Joe's plain love interest. Yep. Is that to my knowledge, we never see her speak, or we never hear her speak. We never hear her speak. We see her mouthing things. Yeah. And again, I think it speaks to sort of some of Ian Johnson's sort of directing chops, mm-hmm. uh, or you know whoever's in the editing bay. You know they they put together really well. Like I've got a very good sense of who she is, the kind of character she is, and what she does for him, just based on what Bruce Willis says about her, and what we very briefly see on screen. Enough that we're still quite effective when we find out that she gets shot. Uh, you know, in the process of, of, of Joe being captured. And, um, yeah, you know, she's, she represents this kind of mysterious character because we don't really get to know much about her, but actually they show us quite a lot through that. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. You know, she doesn't actually say a word. She meets him in the club. He's got that ridiculous hair. Obviously, she then grounds him, shaves it yeah. off and all that stuff. She gives him the finger uh, yeah. the first time they meet. Yeah, and, and even when they're obviously saying something in her final moments, you don't hear it at all. Uh, their conversation as well. Yeah, and I, I find that as a very interesting choice. I'm not quite sure, again... I would always do that from. as a film director. I would always choose the silence because, one, your words are probably going to be inadequate to the, the moment, and two, it's a lot more mysterious. You think, like, lo- lost in translation. The only reason anyone still talks about that film. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the fact that, actually, can we talk about how creepy the situation is? That's a little bit creepy. No, Bill, no. <laughs> Bill, this was a mistake. She's young. <laughs> Walk away. Way too young. Way too young for you. Um, but you know, I also, in my head, a little bit, I suppose, trying to make sense of the kind of the paradox of it all, I almost felt like she was kind of like, you know, fate intervening. And that's almost why she's a little bit more mysterious. Because right. the potential difference between timelines, between I looped back, I got shot, I did my bit, it's all done, to you know, I escaped and I whatever else. The difference is he sees her get shot. Because he's pretty much just going along with it. Like, he's hands up, I accept my fate. Then she gets shot by the happenstance. And then he flips out and manages, ultimately, to escape. Yeah. And that is the kind of key difference between... Well, you could imagine one of the key differences between the two Mm. timelines. And so it's almost like, well, maybe she's just intervening factor this random kind of you know universal occurrence and to give her that air of mystery you don't hear her speak you don't know her name as far as i'm aware she is just his woman yeah. that's what i thought anyway yeah i'd have to watch the director's you know commentary to 
I've never watched it because right. I've never had I never had the full version. Well, I never had the the Blu-ray or whatever. But um, cracking film, Racker. Good discussion, <laughs> as always. Did you want to do it next time? Yeah, I... yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Next time, Steve, I'm quite keen for us to watch Argo. Yes. Um, so this is an interesting one because actually, I've never seen it either. Right. Uh, so it's going to be sort of a new experience for both of us. Mm-hmm. But I've heard such good things about it. Yep. And I'm just, I'm really keen to see what it's all about. And see if it was, you know, justifiably hyped or overhyped or not. Right. You know, well enough hyped. Yeah, I have never seen it. And I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, play up the socials. Oh, yes, the socials. We're on the socials. Mm-hmm. Twitter less so nowadays. I'm yeah. finding it hard. I hate Twitter. I know, yeah, it's a, oh, it's a possible, you know, if you message us on Twitter, we probably would tweet back, but yeah. right now it's just tough. Um, so we're on Twitter at OhBrotherPod, I think, mm-hmm. and then we're on Facebook Facebook at Facebook.com slash OhBrotherPodcast. podcast. <laughs> you took this from memory. I have no idea. <laughs> but we get more interaction on Facebook, so I would say Facebook. Go yeah. for Facebook. Facebook should be your first portal call. Follow us and engage us because, as you said, people engage us actually in the comments section. When yeah, we, a couple of times people on. have suggested things, we've ended up doing them. So, absolutely, you know, we're very open to suggestions. Yeah, um, and you know, in fact, there's, I want to put up a poll. We're going to put up a poll on our Facebook. You want to do a poll? Okay, well, because you and me are disagreeing about something I want to do an episode on, so I want, I want the people's opinion. <sighs> All right, okay, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't possibly go wrong, eh? Referenda. Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, I've been Steve, he's been Chris, and we'll be speaking to you next time about Argo. Yeah, of course.